Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Loosehead Podcast with me, Jeff Neville. Today we have Harry Bennett from Rugby United New York on the pod. Harry, how are you? Good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Bit of a strange season for you this year. Yeah, bizarre. I think everyone's um, sort of in limbo at the moment, but um, is what it is. And I guess just deal with it as it comes now. So, so your season only started mid-February and it ended, what, four weeks later? Yeah, we got five five weeks of rugby in before it all got canned, unfortunately. So um, not a whole lot of rugby, but I guess the, the positive side of it, if there is one, is um, a big old off-season to sort of get all the off-field stuff ready to go for 2021. So you won't be back to pre-season until what, maybe December, is it? Yeah, I, th- I mean, typically that's what's happened over the last couple of seasons, but obviously with this extended break um, that no one anticipated, I'm not sure if teams are going to try and use that time a little bit differently or what happens. So, yeah, honestly, I don't know at this stage. I think it's all early days in terms of um, next steps, but the plan from last year was that we started pre-season around late November, early December, yeah. So we'll talk a small bit about your previous, first, your previous experience in rugby. You left school and joined the Waratahs Academy. What was that like? Yeah, it was a great experience, obviously, a long time ago now. So um, recollection's probably a little bit vague, but it was an an unbelievable experience and a completely different sort of eye-opening experience from schoolboy rugby. Um, I think the, the good thing for me was I had a handful of teammates from our school team at the King School that came into the academy with me. So there was enough familiar faces to sort of make that transition a little bit easier. But um, from day one, it was basically hit the ground running and, and straight into it, which was awesome. Was there a big focus on training with the seniors or were you off on your own? Yeah, I think typically with most academies, you get a bit of both. So uh, a lot of our strength and conditioning and sort of unit and skills work, we were done by ourselves as an academy. The year that I came in, they actually reduced the academy from about 25 to 12, so halved it, um, which obviously made things a little bit difficult to do like team-based stuff. But over the off-season, when there was any sort of, you know, larger group or team-based training sessions, we were thrown in with the full squad um, day one. Did you find that tough? Yeah, I think um, obviously you grow up watching all these guys on TV and um, aspiring to be on in their shoes um, while you're at school and then being, you know, a couple of weeks out of school, being put into that environment and you're in the same change rooms and on the train, same training paddock as those guys. It, it, it could be daunting initially, but I think we were pretty fortunate because we were such a small group that um, the senior guys in the team did a really good job of sort of integrating the academy guys into the squad. So, um, you know, there was obviously learning curves that go along with any sort of academy players going into professional rugby, but at the same time, that group of, of senior players at the at the Waratahs um, did an amazing job and sort of... I think for me personally, just coming from this King School, there was already a couple of old boys from the school that had graduated in the TARS at the time. So there was always that little bit of, uh, you know, support just coming from the same background. So it was good. So what was your experience with the senior team afterwards? Yeah, so I went from academy uh, squad with the Waratahs into the junior Waratahs sort of extended squad, um, which was essentially full-time training with Super Rugby squad. Yeah, it was sort of three tiers to it. So full-time players, there was a squad of about 35 guys, 
30 maybe. And then there was um, the next tier, which is what I got brought up into, which was about five players. And then off the back of that, there was 12 academy guys. So um, that second tier is essentially is injury recovery was full-time with the Waratah squad um, with all training and everything. So I did that for a year after doing two years in the academy. So what are your most memorable moments of your time in Super Rugby? First time putting on the jersey and walking out on the field, although it was a trial game, um, we played the Brumbies and that would have been two months from me graduating school. So um, I think the last game of rugby I played at school was for my school and then you know, three months later, putting on a Waratahs jersey in a trial game against the, the Brumbies and looking across the pitch and seeing, you know, all these names and, and faces that you'd seen on television was pretty eye-opening and an amazing experience. And then I think off the back of that, playing up at Suncorp Stadium against the Queensland Reds um, and getting a try against them was pretty awesome as well. But honestly, just the day-to-day around the um, the locker room and the training fields with those guys and sort of just being able to mingle and integrate with them and just learning from the senior players was huge. So how long were you involved in the senior side of the Waratahs? So a year and a half. Um, so a full year in the academy. That second year, we sort of integrated 50% of the time and then third year full-time in the extended squad um, with those guys. So I, I will say that my time was cut short um, during those three years just with injuries as well, um, which I struggled with and probably was the reason that I wasn't able to, to pursue you know, further professional opportunities in Australia. But you know, it was an amazing experience nonetheless. Coming back from injury, you ended up playing a bit of sevens with Australia. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, refocused a little bit after having two back-to-back shoulder surgeries. Pretty frustrating time and I guess... At that time, trying to figure out the best next avenue to go back into professional rugby and Australian Sevens program at the time was sort of seen as a pathway into professional 15s and a lot of guys had done that beforehand. So um, I was invited into a couple of training camps with the Sevens squad, but again, at the same time, at one of the tournaments there, I did my shoulder again. So that was cut pretty short as soon as it started almost. You go into the Waratahs Academy, you play Australia Sevens. All this is a million miles away from playing rugby in New York. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? I think looking back on it now, well, back then, thinking that I'd be playing professional rugby in New York would have been um, completely far-fetched. But uh, I think 2013, 2014, I was pretty mentally drained from just sort of my setbacks with injuries and everything that had been going on with my rugby in Australia. And... I think because of that time, I think a lot of rugby players at that age sort of resonate that, you know, you don't really experience a lot of the the life experiences that your mates may have gained from sort of traveling and, and doing those uni, uni breaks and going overseas. So for me, it was honestly clearing the head, getting a couple of weeks off to do a bit of traveling. And America uh, was always on the radar for me I was a big fan of American sports and just sort of the lifestyle and culture over there so my plan was find a club over here do a season clear the head refresh and then get back to Australia um, and start again and and pursue another professional avenue but at the same time I think a month into my time in America I absolutely love the experience and opportunities came up and um, I've been here ever since five years later it's pretty crazy and how did the avenue to Rugby United New York open up? Yeah, so I was playing 
over in California for my first year. And then literally within 10 months of being in America, pro rugby, which was the first sort of introduction to professional rugby in America, started up and I was offered a contract to play in that. Again, if for anyone that knows pro rugby, it, it finished as quick as it started. Um, it was a great experience. And I think one that anyone was involved in that would say that it was a great blueprint to sort of what happened with MLR, what not to do, what to do and all these things. So um, off the back of that, I was speaking with um, Mike Tolkien, who was the USA head coach at the time, and he advised me to do my three-year residency in America and um, offered an opportunity to come to New York and, and play for Nyack under him for a season or two. And literally, as those conversations were happening, MLR sort of started to come up as well. And then whilst I was in New York, Rooney started their exhibition season and I started with them. And then I've been with Rooney now for yeah two years, two, three years. A lot of Rooney players will work as well as play. Do you yep. find it tough to balance the work and playing in terms of recovery, in terms of trying to get the right nutrition in and all that? Um, I think the guys that do that are pretty savvy to it now. I mean, they were doing that before MLR came along anyway. I think the split within the team now, there's probably six or seven guys that are full-time with Rooney that are still working full-time jobs um, in the city as well. So, you know, there's not a lot of downtime between the two, but in terms of getting um, your nutrition and your recovery and all that stuff, um, the club does a great job of giving you those resources to do so, but also those guys that are in that situation, you know, are pretty savvy in terms of what they need personally and, and making sure they get the best out of it because... Obviously, when they do join the full-time squad after work and they're coming in, if they're a step behind because they haven't hit their recovery or their strength and conditioning, then it's detrimental to their selection, right? So, you know, those guys have done a great job. And I think, obviously, New York has its own challenges and, and that's certainly one of them. So it's something that the club's going to probably have to deal with for a couple more years um, moving forward. What are the biggest challenges of living and playing in New York? Uh, yeah, good Good and bad distractions. Obviously, New York in itself as a city is a pretty amazing place to live. A hustler's city. I think anyone that lives here and, and appreciates the, the fast-paced lifestyle of New York um, and can manage that on and off the field thrives here. I think if you can't, then it spits you out pretty quickly. So those types of personalities, traits and, and characteristics in play is something that you know our coaches and our management are pretty mindful of when it comes to recruiting guys to the team. It has its challenges, but at the same time, you know, I think it, it makes you a, a tougher person as well. And those challenges, I think, reflect our style of play on the field in terms of just, you know, have that, that tough mental mindset when the going gets tough. So I think the expectations for any new player coming across that doesn't dive into those conversations early is that they see New York City and the bright lights and the glamorous lifestyle is as something as what they're probably going to get. There's definitely elements of that. And I think, you know, you've got every opportunity to sort of create your own lifestyle off the field. But at the same time, you know, those challenges of living in New York City off the field in terms of just commute, hustle and bustle, the cost of living is a lot higher than anywhere else in the country as well. But, but again, in saying that, the club does an amazing job of, of sort of, mediating that and getting ahead of it obviously growing pains from the first season there was a lot of learning curves for management and ownership in terms of that and they've done a great job over the off season um to put their players in the best position
in Rooney, there's a lot of players from Ireland, England, France, Australia, America. Was it difficult to create a team culture having players with so many different backgrounds? Yeah, great question. I think um, MLR in itself, just being a new league and new teams coming in each year, there's no established identity. And it's something that we are always mindful of as players and the playing group itself is establishing that identity as as what New York is to us. Um, and, and I guess the the power to the players is that we, um, as that initial squad, get to create that. But um, because there isn't that an identity for new players to come in or, or that instilled culture, creating it ourselves and having those challenges of players coming from those different backgrounds and nationalities and, and what way works best based on those players or the team itself is something that, you know, we're constantly mindful of and and trying to learn from each other and grow. So, you know, it's, it's a unique situation, I think, from any other league in the, in the world in the sense that because the domestic uh, playing pool probably doesn't outweigh the international influence that you get so many different nationalities coming into the league and into each team that because there isn't that established culture, you've got to figure it out and sort of work with each other. So, you know, one thing that we're really mindful of is, is knowing your teammate off the field as much as on the field and getting the personality down as much as sort of the on-field performance. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a, it's a good one. So at the start of this season, you would have had a big signing with Matthew Bastro coming in to join the team. But a couple of days ago, Ben Foden came out and he said that he wasn't really settling into the team. Um, there was a couple of moments when he decided, you know, he wasn't enjoying it. He wanted, he wanted to go back to Leon. He wasn't training properly. Is he growing into that role or is, he, is it just tough to kind of get him involved? Yeah, I, um, I did see that on Rugby Pass from Fodes. Um, I will say, you know, it was obviously super exciting to um, hear about Baxter's signing and get him into the team. He came in quite late um, for visa issues or just sort of getting all that sorted. Um, and I think one thing that we probably could have done better as a playing group was maybe manage his expectations and give him a little bit more insight as to what MLR was and the landscape here. Um, so without knowing that fully and coming in late, I mean, it's going to provide frustrations for any anyone coming in here. And, and that's not to say that other players in our team had those exact same frustrations and and probably setbacks in their time here. Um, you know, we're all in it together and um, definitely Baxter's not alone in terms of that incident or that experience in Las Vegas. It was, you know, tough to basically come through that that loss initially that we thought we were going to come away with. But, um, you know, to Fode's point as well, the last couple of weeks, um, Baxter's performance has, has just been growing and growing and you can see his personality coming out um, and he's providing a lot a lot of insight and a lot of confidence to the guys around him because of it. So it's it's a shame that the season ended so abruptly the way it did because, you know, his, his role in the team was only growing and his confidence um, in that environment was only growing. And then just on that as well, like a guy of his high profile coming into a team like this, you know, there's obviously expectations from teammates and stuff like that, but you know, it's a challenging experience for him. It's a new one for him as well. And sort of in New York city as well, like all those off field stuff that we talked about, I'm sure play into it. So yeah, as I said, frustrating that the season ended because it would have been awesome to see his development 
and his performances that we were seeing in the last couple of games. You mentioned there that maybe Basta's expectations of the league could have been managed better. Did the league, or is the league, I should say, matching your own expectations of what you thought it would be? I think for me personally, yes. Um, only because I've been in the American rugby landscape for a, a while now, five years, and, and seeing it sort of grow as it does. So, yes, there are those frustrations in terms of um, growing pains in any sort of new league and a new market as well. But at the same time, one thing that I've loved and noticed about the American rugby landscape is just how, how passionate and how optimistic um, anyone that's involved in it is. I think the crowds, you know, you're getting 2,000, 3,000 people to a game, but that American sports culture is fanatical and, and those 3,000 people feel like 10 because of it. Um, and all of those experiences that you get from basketball and, and NFL over here as well, the tailgating and you know, the merchandise, it's its next level over here. And that's the stuff that excites me because probably playing in a more traditional or established rugby environment, whether it be in Australia or, or anywhere else, you, you take that stuff for granted, maybe, and, and including the fan. So that's, that's probably been the biggest excitement and growth that I've seen over here. What are you doing as a club to help grow the game in New York? Yeah, I think um, a couple things. Obviously, there's a pretty strong youth program in New York, which the players are heavily involved in. I think that's the great thing about rugby and growing the game in New York. Our players are pretty accessible to those programs. So um, Alex McDonald, who's basically heading up community outreach and a lot of those youth programs is doing a good job of getting players in front of those kids and, and giving those kids the opportunity to meet and greet with professional athletes that they probably wouldn't really be afforded to if it was any other sport and our ownership's extremely ambitious in terms of their outreach as well obviously new york is a pretty saturated market in any market but you know the beauty of new york as well is there's such a massive population that if you tap five ten percent of that you're doing a really good job is major league rugby as a league more sustainable than the pro league was before yeah i think um well, first of all, pro rugby, the entire organisation and the entire league was owned by one one man and each team was invented in his vision, whereas Major League Rugby, each franchise is owned independently, but the owners have a seat at the table in terms of the organisation itself. So um, each team is responsible for their own market and their own community, which I think helps because you know, obviously you don't want to have too many hands in the pie, but um, in terms of sustainability, I think pro rugby was, you know, a great sort of, yeah, blueprint in terms of creating an opportunity in those landscapes, but then realising that USA is a massive beast and each team has to be responsible for their own franchise and their, their own sort of community to be able to grow that independently and in their own vision. So what needs to be done for the MLR to reach the next step? Um, Off-field, I'd say commercial partnerships. I think that's the one thing that the league itself and, and the owners are extremely mindful of securing. It's just those big commer commercial partners to be able to provide more exposure, more sponsorship, um, more income as well to each, each of the teams. Uh, On-field... You know, it's, it's tough. Do you 
continue down the path it is going in terms of bringing in these high-profiled international players um, probably towards the end of their career. I think the more you're seeing it, particularly this year, there's guys that are coming earlier than expected, which is a great sign. But for this league to be sustainable and to grow, obviously you've got to look at the domestic talent pool as well and how you can sort of develop that. I think the college rugby landscape at the moment is doing a really good job and it's continuing to grow as well and it needs to um, to provide those new players coming through the system, especially with the rate of expansion. I mean, there's three teams coming in next year, so trying to find that domestic player pool to be able to fill those teams is a challenge, but yeah, they're doing a good job of it so far. Do you think that the league will follow the suit or do you think the country will follow suit of what other countries did that there? To play in the national team, you had to be playing at home. Uh, I, I don't think the US can afford to do that, and they haven't been able to do that so far. But in the sense, but on the flip side of that, um, you know, the, the guys that are playing at the national level for the USA who are getting experience overseas are coming back better players and coming back with probably better insight in terms of how that they can contribute to the domestic game. So, um, yeah, America's completely different to any other nation when it comes to rugby and sporting landscape so you know it's it's horses for courses in that sense that you know you're probably more so looking at different leagues um domestically whether it be mls i think's a good one um and one that they're certainly mindful of following closely in terms of their growth uh, rather than looking overseas at other rugby competitions because you know that landscape's so different the population of America is obviously huge. The number of athletes that stop playing sport after high school is huge. Same with the number of athletes that stop playing sport after college. What can be done to entice those already finely tuned athletes into rugby? Yeah, really good question. It's, there's no short answer to that. I think from a college perspective, scholarship-wise, you have to be a varsity program within the nation to be able to provide rugby scholarships. So there's only a handful of schools that are able to do that. But based on grades, typically guys that get into rugby get into it at the college level because they weren't afforded opportunities in other sports, which is a detriment to them because they're getting exposed to the game probably a little bit too late. You know, I always joke that Rugby in America produces amazing wingers and back rowers because they're dynamic athletes. But the fundamental skill set that probably requires you to be a more specific skill, whether it be fly half or hooker or, or front row, they're not getting that development early enough because of those late decisions. So tapping into high schools and middle schools and sort of starting that pathway early enough and then enticing those players to choose rugby over other sports is a lot easier now because there's a direct pathway um, and you can show the, those kids that you know if you follow this avenue there's a direct link to college into professional rugby in America now and the best thing about that is they assimilate everything that comes with professional sport in America whether it be basketball or NFL just that that glamorous glamorous lifestyle that they see on TV they automatically assume that's all professional sport. So enticing them to do that in rugby is probably the next best step. You've a lot of time off now because of everything. Are you making your own plans for the future now around rugby? or? 
yeah, obviously didn't anticipate this big break. A um, couple of months now to sort of figure out next steps, and that was something that um, I've been mindful of now for a couple of years. So, you know, like any any sport, it can be taken away in any minute. So um, not so much having a plan B, but, but also being prepared for those situations is important. And for me, um, I've always been pretty passionate about the coaching side of things with rugby and um, coaching up at one of the private schools in, in New York now as well, which has been a great experience and probably helped with my um, my playing career as well in terms of just seeing things from a different perspective. So definitely curious and interested in, in getting into the coaching realms of things. I've got a great relationship um, with Marty Vale, our forwards coach at Rugby United. Um, so he challenges me a lot on, on the coaching side of things and sort of just like brainstorming different tactics and ideas that, you know, we can we can challenge with each other, which is great. Um, and then from a tactical side of things, you know, speaking with Greg Williams, um, Rugby United, backs coach, head coach, um, his mindset on the game from an attacking perspective has been great to sort of um, learn from him as well. So, yeah, obviously for me, transitioning into coaching at some point, doing it slowly at the moment, but that's definitely an avenue. And then... I think another thing that I'm doing at the moment, which I'm pretty excited about, is just gaining sort of different insight and perspective from other players around the league and other players in different competitions as well. I think each player has a very unique and interesting story to tell um, and probably doesn't get the the platform to be able to just relax and have those conversations. So I've started a podcast called The Rugby Player. Early days on that yet, but speaking to a few guys around the league and just sort of getting their insight on terms of you know, what they're doing with them themselves off the field, um, lifestyle and, and plans away from rugby as well, which has been great. So getting a lot of good feedback from that as well. Does Rooney help you make plans for the future? Yeah, they do. Um, our owner, James Kennedy, is really ambitious in terms of being able to provide guys opportunities away from the game as well. So he's he's already helped out a bunch of our guys in terms of networking, finding work or careers away from rugby if that time comes and certainly over the off season now as well one of his focuses and obviously a focus of the team is creating that that youth program here and giving guys the opportunity to do some development coaching around the state which was something that we did last year as well so they've been a massive help so that's it harry thanks a million for coming on to the podcast no, I appreciate it, Jeff. Um, been awesome to, to have a chat and probably provide some perspective in terms of the MLR and what's going on in America at the moment with rugby. So it's been great. That's it from myself and Harry today, everyone. Thanks a million for listening.